Tassa Bhagavatu Alahatu Summa Sambutasa Namu Tassa Bhagavatu Alahatu Summa Sambutasa Namu Tassa Bhagavatu Alahatu Summa Sambutasa Vudham Dhammam Sangam Namasami So today it's the, uh, I call it a small wampra, when the monks and nuns don't have to recite their rules, which takes about most of the morning of the day of wampra. And well, we still have precepts for the lay people who are not ordained. And um, it's also a time when we don't have any work, any well, with some people still working amongst the community of monks and nuns, but generally it's kind of fairly free from your encourage if you don't work to um, really use the time to develop your practice, meditation, and uh, whatever you want to study or learning the chanting or what is um, kind of expected from all of us to. Um, develop and practice. So it repeats itself every fortnight, every week in fact. This is a half moon day and the others are full moon and new moon day. <coughs> so it's a tradition of this particular school of Buddhism. You know, I mean, Theravada Buddhism. I don't know what the Mahayana or the Zen people do, but that's what this uh, tradition has part of a ceremony aspect. So there are many, many people. Can you all hear me okay? Is it, the sound is good? Okay. There are many people here who are just starting their practice. Um, they may have practiced as lay people before they came to the monastery, but they are very new to the, uh, you know, the monastic life, which is a very particular lifestyle. It's not everybody's cup of tea. It's not something that attracts many people, as you can see. But also it's, um, you know, it's kind of, at first one is very inspired by you don't come here because you are just depressed and miserable. Like many people think, you come to the Sangha or, you know, lay people who, or people who just don't know what this lifestyle is about. You tend to think that you come here because you are at the end of your rope and you have nothing else to do. Or you're depressed or you don't feel good about yourself. And it's true that many, many people come to find some kind of a, resources and some kind of uh, peace in an environment such as Amarawati. Because it is a very peaceful place, you know, it's really organized so that there is an enormous amount of space for us to find what it is that's kind of, you know, confused and miserable or whatever, you know, the mental state that we don't like usually. And to also discover another space in the mind that maybe we never really noticed before. So this is what meditation is about, you know, having enough attention, concentration, practice to be able to stay very focused So on what we look at, what we see, what we haven't seen yet, but that comes up. And then little by little, you begin to understand the, the, the actual use of meditation. It's not just to kind of block everything so you're going to be quiet and peaceful. That's not how that's not how you liberate the mind. The mind is not liberated from space. <laughs> it's liberated from delusion. That's what is expected in Buddhism. So no matter how much space and silence you get in your mind, 
that's still not the work that's expected from the Buddhist teaching. And um, I don't think it's a big problem here, but when you're in Thailand or in Asia or in some other school, sometimes, you know, the, the kind of wanting to be peaceful, concentrated, you know, seem to take a, a, a predominance, you know. Here, there's so much work. I mean, I've been part of this community for many decades, and there's so much work and activity, not just uh, physical work, but just uh, the people, being, pe being with people, having monks and nuns, which is rare things. I mean, you don't find any monastery having monks and nuns together. You know, it's quite hard work sometimes, at least for some people. <laughs> I don't know about the monks, but I, I've been my, I've, I've had a wonderful time and hard work as well. You know, it's not just smooth and easy. So many of you, many of you are just beginning, you know, just to get a sense of what it is to be in a life which has completely different values from the worldly values we get in the world. In the world, you earn your money, you become successful, you feel unhappy and depressed if you're not successful, you get married, you get divorced, you have children and so on. You know, it's also quite a busy life, very demanding. And when you come here, it's another kind of life, you know, you, you know, the Buddha, you know, teaches us a very different world. When he says, you know, everything is anicca dukkha anatta, uh-huh, what's that? <laughs> what that? We're trying to figure it out. <laughs> anicca. You know, I often say, I, I, I knew the word impermanence you know, the world of transitory, ephemeral, you know, in English, in French. But I never saw, you know, I never used this whole aspect of my life to actually free my mind. I never knew anything about that. And yet, when you read some very great teachers in Thailand, like Ajahn Buddha Dat, you know, you know, or other teachers, you know, I, I read somewhere which I really find quite interesting. I think it was Ajahn Buddha Dat who said, um, when you, s <clears throat> sorry, I don't want you to, <laughs> to miss that bit. When you, <clears throat> when you see Anicca, you see Nibbana. So for those who are on the path of liberation here, you know, that means something. Maybe for when you just arrive here, Nibbana is a very, remote things that doesn't mean that much for you. And we, you know, if you are, and if you're in Asia, for example, people think Nibbana is another kind of word for some kind of peaceful paradise somewhere in heaven, you know, but that's not it. That's not Nibbana. Nibbana is the end of delusion, is the end of suffering and the end of, you know, the end of all our problems. So, <clears throat> When you come here, you suddenly have to adjust to a whole world of precepts. Did you have precept before we came to the monastery? I didn't have any precepts. Did you have, uh, you know, celibacy when you were in, in, in the world, or you could have a boyfriend, a girlfriend, or any partner whenever you want? Now you don't have that. Even lay people, when you come to the monastery, you have to be really mindful of that particular aspect of life, you know, when we're all we're looking for somebody who can be our, maybe our, a special person that we can marry or we can love or we can, you know, it's quite normal, it's very natural, normal, nature. Yet here uh, we have to renounce this aspect and that shifts our energy, doesn't it? I mean, instead of going out to look for people we like or don't like, we are really um, training the mind to look inwardly a lot of the time because that's what the practice is about. You don't look outside to find out what other people are doing, even though we do spend a lot of time. I remember myself, I spend a lot of time looking at other people. What do they do? And so I'm curious, I'm nosy. <laughs> Not now, it's kind of calmed down. But I realize there's no point in doing that. It's a waste of time. And not only that, it's bad practice. You know, it doesn't go with the practice that liberates the mind. But most of us have to try everything. You know, we have to try what we to try. We don't have to try. But what I mean, like, we're still human, and we discover the amount of stuff we do that are completely unnecessary, completely useless, 
and in a way um, taking us away from the past. Even in a monastery, very often we forget ourselves. And so it is a new, a new world. You know, sometimes it's not pointed at enough, you know, for people to to see that this world with the Vinaya, with meditation, with regularity, with going to the same place for a long time. And then, of course, people have a chance to travel and to go somewhere else or to travel to other countries. But on the whole, you know, it's pretty regular. You know, even when you go to another monastery, you find the same, more or less the same routine. You know, the same problem, <laughs> the same difficulty. <laughs> you find your mind, in other words. I used to think, you know, wherever I go, I find my mind. And that really helped me enormously because I trusted that. I knew this was true. It seemed like if I go somewhere else, I'll have a new mind. I'll have a new world. A new... And it, the illusion lasts for about a week, maybe. And then suddenly, you find yourself again. You know, the old self. So this is what happens, you know. It's interesting the way the, the, the human mind works because when I go away, for example, when I've been away, I've traveled quite a lot in my life as a nun. When I go away and come back here, I feel really great, you know. You feel really suddenly a space, peaceful and so on because you haven't yet connected with the world of other people. <laughs> and yet you can't separate from each other. We all come together in a big basket and we share everything. You know, we don't share room like I did when I was at Chetters in, in the first few years, you know, there. We don't have to live, sleep with, next to a bed of another person. But we still share an enormous amount of stuff with each other, quote-unquote stuff, you know. It's like a family. So this is not easy. I mean, I've lived through it myself many a long time. And this is the work, in a way, that is given to us, you know, how to live together and not be swamped and crushed or whatever, you know, influenced by the, the what goes on in other people. It's not other people are doing anything to you, but you can easily get, you know, uh, share their pain, their uh, suffering, their jealousy, whatever it is. You can feel things going on and you don't always know what it is. And the idea is not to seek to find out what it is, you know, but to look at yourself, how you respond to that particular situation. The, the, the normal re reaction is that they are my problem. They are the one who are creating my world. They are the one, you know, I know that one. I've been through this myself. I'm not talking, you know, as somebody who just invented now. I know what it's like. It's not fun. Because then you have to, you know, you know better than that, yet your mind still goes on. You know that it's useless to find other people as being the culprit of yourself, of your misery. But yet, it's really hard to avoid. Because for a long, long time, we do. You know, even though we have learned it, we've studied it on the books, we've heard the teaching so many times, still, we're still, that's their fault. Now, it could be their fault, absolutely true, you know, it could be them creating problems for you, for me, for anybody. Yes, that might be actually true. In the world out there, you could even go through a process, you know, through, sorry, not a process, that's French, un procès, which means you can go and find a lawyer to defend you, you know, <laughs> and pay them really a lot of money to get them wrong, and you're right. Here. Yeah. You're left with, you know, to look at what is not right and what is wrong, quote-unquote, you know. You ask, you're being asked to look inside, not at what other people do, but how you react to other people. So it's a completely new path of life. You're not really worried or concerned about, you know, about what other people are doing anymore. You look at the inside. This is work. You look at your reactivity, your reactions. And I'm not saying it's easy. It's really hard. So it's not a life of ease here, I can tell you. Yeah? That's why people 
we, some people have jhana tendency. They can have jhana very quickly, and their nature, maybe they've done it in lifetime after lifetimes, you know. And that you can get, you know, in Thailand, they use a jhana as a concentration to rest the mind. It's just a way of giving a holiday to your mind for those who can do the jhanas, you know. There are many other ways to do, uh, to rest the mind, you know, it's not just concentration. There are many other ways to empty the mind. You begin to learn how to, you get the skill of living with an empty mind and your meditation for a little while. Then, of course, you can go again, you know, uh, act activity can arise again because you have things to do, you have uh, demands, and you have uh, the habitual, uh, you know, the habitual things in your mind that think, think, think all the time because you can't be empty for any time or you're just frightened to be empty, you know. Basically, at some point, we, we're learning a little bit with your meditation, with our meditation, we learn how to live with moment with nothing, hap nothing happening in the mind because there's n no point to do something when there's no need to do anything. Yet the mind, you know, even when you don't want to do anything, the mind is blah, 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 blah. Lots of memories come back from the past, from 20 years, from yesterday, from many things activate the mind into, you know, many, uh, agit much agitation. So, um, you know, this is a, 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 pro, a, a, a journey, you know, that really requires a lot of patience, as we all know. Because the idea is not to get rid of anything. You know, the mind is very polarized, you know. And I like, I, get, I like, you, you don't have to believe anybody, you... Here, the practice, the path is about to experiment ourselves to find out whether it's true or not. Nobody is asking anybody to believe anything, which is something that attracted me very much to Buddhism, I'm sure, like many people, many other people. You know, so it's something we do have to truly experiment, know for ourselves. We chant this every morning, you know, in our teaching to know for ourselves, to be realized by ourselves, by the wise. It's not my wise, my wise one, by the wisdom of the mind, yeah? So this is something that's rare, it's a rare thing. I mean, we're more accustomed to be at university and to study and to accumulate a lot of knowledge and to become really good at things, and then, but we yet haven't seen the work of Delusion. Work of delusion comes together with the, the pain we experience, the attachment, the belief, the, the delusion of thinking that we are I, me, mine. That ego is a permanent personality. Person, uh, ego is a permanent entity. That is the most difficult thing to begin to see clearly, the nature of self. Because the, the person will speak, will think, who does things. It's like for a long, long, long time we think it's me, mine, and it hurts every time it's challenged. You know, you get really disappointed when, with people when they don't like you. You get really miserable when they hurt you. That's self, that's the self. Now, Many, many people think you have to get rid of the self. You have to get rid of anger, you have to get rid of delusion, you have to get rid of things. That's not the path, I want to tell you clearly. But even though it's not the path, habits continue to do the same old deluded patterns. They just continue. If you think it's yours, you are really in trouble. It hurts. If you think your habits is yours, the habits are blind, that's all. Just give them a lot of love and patience. You don't need to hurt them. You don't need to squash them, to beat yourself up because your habits are not very good. You suffer, they make you suffer. And what makes you suffer most is a judging mind, you know, that is constantly thinking it should be a better Buddhist, I should be a better practitioner, I should be a better meditator, I shouldn't be so stupid. You know, I'm just talking about things I've experienced myself. 
all, all of us will experience this. You know, it's not just one person. It's a pattern of a human mind. It's like this. That's the way it is. The mind is like this. It judges, it criticizes, it, you know, it's too much, not enough. Don't worry. At some point you realize this is not you. That the Buddha says again and again and again, not you, not me, not mine. Now, at the beginning, you think it's you because, you know, you haven't seen any, you haven't seen anything beyond that. And that's what meditation is doing. You don't have to become somebody who has no self, because then you end up to the psychiatric hospital. You have a, you, you believe in the self. Don't 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 pretend you don't have one. You know. <laughs> We still believe, especially when you begin. I don't think, you know, unless you have had a, you know, you have been uh, knowing these things in past life or something, I don't know. But, you know, so you spend many years with that self, that really miserably conditioned, you know, it's not fun. And it does, you know, it's not a question of getting rid of it. It's more questions through your meditation, and you see anicca, dukkha, anatta. Little by little, you begin to see that none of this belong to you. None of this is mine. None of this is. You begin to see, you know, I, I, how many times I wanted to do something, and my mind take over. I will take over. It doesn't do that anymore. It will take over and have its own way of looking at things and talking to, instead of me. It's that take over. It takes over you. <laughs> so you start laughing and have a good time. Don't try to make it a big problem for you. All right? You're just meeting your mind. Hello? You're meeting your mind, the human mind. So it's much easier to start looking at things when you understand it little by little. Little by little, you don't, it's not like a crash course. A moment of enlightenment, you know everything, you know. It's more a gradual process of beginning to see that what you live with is very different from what you think sometimes or feel, or you know. And what I noticed, for example, when I was mindful as a younger nun, it became very, very clear to me that every time I was really mindful and really kind of attentive, mindfulness, you know, like aware, then only good things seemed to come out of me. And I didn't know what they were. You know, I said, wow, that really dr dragged me really closer to wanting to continue, to continue this path. Because I could see when I was really mindful and aware, suddenly only good, good speech came out of me. Good, um, good thinking good came out of me, and good action came out of me. So you can see how many times I witnessed this. But my mindfulness was not always a present, even though we think it is present. But we still, our habits are very strong too. And we don't need to pretend we don't have these habits. We don't need to pretend that we can get rid of them because we can't. But you see them, you understand them, and you stop clinging to them, and that's how you begin to, as the Buddha, as the practitioner says, good practitioner say, you begin to empty the substantiality, the, the, the quality of substance of your experience. Your thought becomes empty. As soon as you become mindful, the thought disappears might take a while, it might take a little while to notice that because your mind is still absorbed with so many stories and so many ideas and so many thoughts and so many critical mind, you know, which is good and bad. You know, critical mind is a mind that can think for itself, but also a critical mind and be, can be also blind belief, you know. So, but the Buddha doesn't ask you to believe, you know, to take that as our priority. The priority is to see really anicca. You know, the priority to see that there is suffering, dukkha, in our meditation. And the third priority is anatta, things do not belong to us. It doesn't mean it's not you, it's not this or that. It's more like you begin to see you living with a stranger from the past. 
Do you understand? You begin with you are begin to live from the history of your old world of the past. You're not you're not in the moment yet. You're not living with that now. You know the mind that is completely in the state of not knowing the unknown. I mean, I, you know, we lose. I love the unknown because I think it's the only reality that really makes me happy. I mean, I have to say that. Even when I came to give a talk here, I said, what am I going to say? Oh, my God, you know, my foot is not really good. You know, I'm getting old. <laughs> Maybe I've lost my brain, you know. And then I say, well, see what happened. If I lost my brain, take me to the hospital and we'll find out what they can do with me. <laughs> and then you come here and then it's kind of happened by itself, more or less, you know. You don't have to do anything. You just, you're in the present moment. Because I was saying to Ajahn Sumedho, I was asking him, I said, why is it that, you know, when you teach, you, you're so clear, you're so clear-minded, things come out from this mindfulness I was talking to you about that is better than any old habits I have. So this mindfulness really brings the good things, as far as I'm concerned, that's what I feel. But, you know, um, for a long time, we, we suffer from not being there, from not knowing even that, you know. So, little by little, you begin to see that, you know, you're living with a stranger. And you're living with a stranger, which is not even, you know, has, you begin to see also the stranger is very, very shifting. It change all the time. That's what they call anicca. One moment happy, the next moment unhappy. One moment you like me, one moment you don't like me. One moment you dis you hate yourself. That moment, another moment somebody said something really nice about you, or say, oh maybe I'm not so bad. <laughs> you know, it's wonderful. You can actually uh, begin to see how much you depends on this sense of self that the Buddha is pointing to as anicca dukkha anatta. You know, not me, not mine. I remember a time when, you know, you don't have to do this, you know, but for me, I began to see, maybe I have to think, you know, in a way of the Buddha. So I, I would say, uh, you know, my mind is not me, not mine. My body is not me, not mine. My this is not me, not mine. Like a parrot, you know, I would just do it. And I, <laughs> I didn't have any hope for it was going to enlighten me, but I felt it was good to give my mind a good habit, you know. Rather than to to act in a way, this is me, this is mine. Oh my God! Don't hurt me! Don't do this! Don't do that! You're terrible. I will begin to have more like a repetition, like a habit, you know. <laughs> not me, not mine. Not me, not mine. Even if it was not completely understood yet for me, you know. So, don't want to keep you too long. <laughs> So this is um, what this world, when I said we come to a different world, you begin to understand monastics, you know, the world of monastics is particular. It's not everybody cup of tea. Some hundreds of, well, I don't know if a hundred, I would say hundreds of monks and nuns have come and gone from this place. And people still continue to be interested in the past. Because this past is absolutely, to me, I would say it's a marvel, it's marvelous. <laughs> It's also a refuge, it's called sometimes referred to as refuge. And this refuge is a jewel, you know. You talk about the refuge as being a jewel, and I do feel it's a jewel. Because it's truth, you know. It's a jewel of, of, it's where the truth is. And it's not something you believe. It's what you have experimented again and again and again through the beginning, slowly with meditation, with a precept, with this doesn't mean you're enlightened, but at least you know better what not to do. I knew when I was, you know, sometimes I would say, I can't teach you anything, but one thing I can teach you is what not to do. This, I've been an expert. <laughs> don't do this, don't do this. Don't go down that way. This, I'm quite, you know, it's not bad. I mean, many people don't even know not, what not to do, you know, so I thought... I'm doing quite good. 
I'm, I'm quite, I could be quite useful. Don't do this way, or you go down to hell. But of course, you know, our, our sense of self is quite strong. No, don't tell me what to do, you know, I know what to do, you know. The young generation, they tell me, you know, they tell me what to do sometimes, as if I did not know. It's quite sweet. And so I, I can see my reaction. I still have reaction inside. God, who are they? But then I say, well, they just arrive. They just, that's their world, not my world, you know, that's, they're just being natural. It's not something wrong or not something bad or anything like that, you know, but you can see it. And, <laughs> so we're still attached to being understood. That's a problem. And I have to say, I, I absolutely adore the teaching of Ajahn Sumedho because he's a very particular way of presenting the teaching. Not every teacher has the same profound view of the mind. You know, I've met many teachers, but Lumpo is one of those people. In America, when I went, I, I used to go to the States with him. And in America, the, the, the Vipassana teachers, you know, Jack Confield, Joseph Kostein, all the schools, you know. All the people, you know, Lumpo, Ajahn Sumedho, oh, he's a, uh, I have to remember all these words because he, he's a Dzogchen teacher of the Theravada tradition, you know, because a Dzogchen teacher, you start with consciousness. It's when you reach the highest point of the Tibetan Buddhism, Buddhism you know, so Ajahn Sumedho is very much at the consciousness level, he's always teaching that. He's always reminding of that level rather than to, talk about the nitty-gritty of the, of the past. And so, um, you know, or you, they would say, oh, he's a uh, Ramana Marshi, you know, he's a, he's a, what do you call it, the, the Vedanta of, Ajahn Sumedho is a Vedanta teacher of the, of the Theravada tradition, because Vedanta, again, is different from other school in India, because it's really straight away goes to the higher level of consciousness, you know. But then, so that's quite rare, the way he teaches, you know, it's quite amazing that he has such a clear idea between those two levels of reality, you know, ultimate and conventional. And so, um, yes, I, I love his teaching because you, you have a sense of, for me, I'm not saying maybe it has the same effect for everybody, not everybody, we're all so different, you know, from one, from the other. So different people, speak to different people, you know, or touch, touches different people. And so for me, what I love about Ajahn Sumedho's presentation of Dharma in this practice, his own practice, is the fact that, you know, for me it works well because maybe like many of you, uh, we have a, a quite a negative mind, you know, critical mind about oneself. You don't feel good. You kind of, you know, even you know better than this, you know. Even I could teach, no, don't do that. Still, the habit is still there. Do you understand? And so, um, you know, what, what, what's wonderful with this um, presentation of the teaching is that he's in a, and I think it's his practice, you know, it's like suddenly you always come to Lumpo, you get a feeling you're free already almost. You share his freedom even before you get there yourself, you know. There's something, everything is okay. And that's what he teaches. You're stupid, you're doing something stupid, but that's what you just notice. That's right. You're mindful, you've just done something stupid. You don't have to, you know, spend three hours to say, I'm horrible, I'm terrible, I'm a bad Buddhist, I'm bad nun, bad this, bad that. Yet, habit will do it. Habit will do it. They're not going to obey you. You see, they have their own life. The self, which is a world of habit, the self, which is a big bundle of habit from the past, God knows how many, I mean, I'm not into past life myself, you know, but people talk like that. How many past life? You don't know where does that come from. You have no idea. But these habits are very strong. And the sense of self make us feel they are right. But as you practice little by little, you lose that kind of, persuasion, you know, you lose that sense of that's true. You don't feel it's true because you know very well that what your mind is telling you, what your mind is doing, what your mind is saying and acting is not right. 
it's not this wrong, but it's not in accord with what you would prefer. You prefer to be a peaceful, kind, loving, you know, being. But then you start getting angry with yourself, angry with others. You, you know, if you had a chance, if you didn't have the precept, you might be smacking, you know, or banging a piece of wood next to you or start being really horribly rude to people or something like that, you know. So fortunately, the precepts are there to protect us from perpetuating maybe old habits that we had before we came to Amrawati or Chittas or any monasteries. So we're very fortunate to have this training that protects us from continuing to develop and um, perpetuate unskillful habits, unskillful thoughts, unskillful action, and so on. And it's unskillful because it's harmful often. Always deluded. Simply, you know, it's not in accord with reality. And what this teaching is very special as well. I have never felt, I've never met, I've, I've met, I was across, I came across a number of teachings and I came across a number of religious schools and things, you know, but I've never really came across a teaching which has such a clear uh, practice of vipassana, right? So clearly um, showing what we are made of, you know, transitory, world, painful world, which has an end, by the way, because it's transitory, and uh, a world of that doesn't belong to you. And that is frightening for people, because if you say to people, that doesn't belong to you, your mind doesn't belong to you, your body doesn't belong to you, your thought doesn't belong to you, your, you know, you say, who am I? You can go and get really you know, go mad or crazy if you believe this. It's not to be. It's not to be believed. It's like it's just sort of like um, you, you could say it's a um, suggestion for you to explore a different world. You can't just you know pretend you're not me or mine. I, I, was, I certainly, I always felt that when a self was strong, you know, I'm not anybody else. I'm me. It's mine. That cushion is mine. That thing is mine. My robe, my thoughts are mine. My feeling is mine. Nobody else. <laughs> I'm special. You know, you carry this for a long time. I'm special. And sometimes when we become monks and nuns, we feel even more special because we have these strange robes. People are very respectful of the monks and nuns, you know, something we never maybe came across so easily in the world. As soon as I go out in the world, I, f I'm <laughs> I, get, I get to know a lot of people opinionated about this, this, and that, and the other. I'm sure about me as well. You know, we are protected from that kind of very opinionated, opinion, opinioned, well, full of opinion mind, and uh, critical, critics of others, you know. People may be doing that internally, but we have certain limits about how far we can be unskillful with our speech. <laughs> Otherwise, we could not live together, do you understand? And besides that, it's part of what I was talking to you at the beginning, it's part of looking inwardly. You know, you, you begin to learn little by little to be with you inwardly rather than, you know, it's, it's a world that begins here, doesn't begin anywhere. And so when you practice, even though you may be looking outwardly all the time to what people are doing, what they are saying, wanting to change them, wanting to do this, wanting to, you know, that we have a lot of ideas about what people should be doing, but we forget ourselves about <laughs> what we should be doing. <laughs> Maybe we should not be doing, you know, trying to find out what other people are doing. Maybe while I'm doing this, shouldn't I be finding out why do I look at people, what, why do I want this to look at people, what they are doing? Why do I want that? Why well, I'm so curious about that. And sometimes we don't know, you know, we're just curious. I mean, that's accepting that we're very curious. Maybe we came here being very nosy people. I'm quite curious myself. I like to look, you know, 
No, I've, I've lost my interest. I have to say no. I've done it, I've done it enough, and I realize the useful the uselessness of these things. Not that it stopped completely. Don't worry, I'm still interested in what other people are doing, but it doesn't really go very far, you know. So this different world is something we need to take into, you know, we need to take into all the perspective our changes when we come to the monastery whether we are lay people or monastics. And those who, you don't have to be a monk or a nun to know already what it feels to be more quiet, more silent, less into, you know, my body, your body, their body, 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 be you. <laughs> you know, you don't have to find a body or you don't have to find a friend. You know, it's not a place where you're going to... Uh, kind of cultivate a lot of friendship, which is different from the world, isn't it? Where you can have many friends. So this mindfulness practice really requires a renunciation of being um, too preoccupied in, you know, having a good friend, having my best friend, having, you know, people I like, people that I don't like. This uh, all this is begin. We begin to just observe it. This as the path of practice, to let go of a mind that is conditioned by the, this kind of self, me. And for some reason, you know, I haven't kind of find out why, you know, when I look at the mind, it's divisive. It's kind of divided all the time. That's the way it functions. The mind that stopped being divisive is little by little, we discover a mind that's very spacious, it doesn't need to be divided because its nature is not division. The self is divided into yes and no, good and bad, I and you, you know, far and so on. But the, the mind that is free from that, more free, I wouldn't say completely free, but more free, you know, you begin to see, you can see both sides of things. And you can have a bigger, better view, do you understand? When you can see both sides of a reality, then you don't have to take a side. You begin to use a wisdom to continue to understand what you are looking at, you know. Otherwise, a man is always jumping from one thing to another. I remember when I was in Thailand in the forest, I remember thinking, they had this inside. As a realization, quote unquote, you know. It's interesting how insight comes because it's so unexpected sometimes, you know. And this insight was, it was really a great relief for me. Sundara, you don't have to have an opinion. You don't have to have an opinion because every opinion has its opposite. And I can do, yes, this is, this is maybe my Libra, my Libra birth gave me the sense of shifting from one thing to another easily. So I say, well, this is bad, that bad, that. Yeah, but actually, it's not that bad, the other side. That's, you know, it's okay. Yes, but, you know, blah, 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 blah. If I did that, yeah. Well, it's not all like that all the time, you know. So it, it moves like this. You know, there's always an opinion. And you take them seriously, which means you get quite involved with them, and it complicates your mind a lot, you know. But if you just let the mind just relax and trust in a way to begin to learn how to trust the empty mind, then there's no need to have any opinions, you know. Or if you have opinion, they don't have to be yours. And then you fight with your neighbors because they don't have the same opinion. People have the right, after, after all, to have their own opinion if they want to. So that's important in a monastery because sometimes we get misunderstood. All of us get a bit misunderstood because we, we speak with confidence. You know, Many people here speak with quite a lot of confidence in what they are doing. No, I don't see the, maybe the non-confident side, but... And we may appear, you know, as if we know, but maybe we don't know that much, but we still, um, you know, 
be interpreted as somebody who tell the other one what they know. So it's, on, it's a delicate time when people can think that you know, what we are saying is not what we're saying, actually. So that's part of observing many other, um, how can I say, many other state of mind that arise out of misunderstanding, misconception, and misinterpretation of each other's mis, uh, you know, critical, critical mind. We can really make uh, our life and the life of others incredibly painful, you know, incredibly miserable. And, you know, most of us don't want to do this. We know that. Not most of us, we are here in a way. I mean, the whole aim of being in this place is training to be harmless, you know. So, pretty clear. How can we be harmless? Not give misery to other people. Not give, you know. I mean, I've been, you know, I was really keen on that ideal of being harmless, you know. But then your habits, you know, your anger is not gone yet. <laughs> You're disappointed. Your, your anger, your anger is not gone yet. You know, so you get angry with yourself. You know, but in a way, um, yeah, we have to endure quite a lot of incredibly difficult things. Call me habits. You know, the story of me. And me is nothing wrong with it. I say to people again and again, don't complain about your me. That's all. You have to be enlightened. How would you know you're deluded if you don't know your own delusion? So you can think the me, I, and be very kind to this me with wisdom, knowing that the me is your, is your kind of basket of delusion. Okay? And delusion doesn't mean you're stupid. Delusion means it doesn't know the Dhamma. That's all. You're not aware of the Dhamma aspect of something. Me is not that, you know, you don't have a PhD and you are absolutely a superb, you know, human being and extremely knowledgeable and extremely bright and extremely intelligent. But maybe you don't have yet the knowledge of Dhamma. And you, remember, it's not you. <laughs> what I mean by this, you say that about yourself, but you're also changing with, with the time, with space, with... Your work you do on yourself is a transformation, constantly transforming itself. So it's a relief to know that. We're moving on constantly. It's very small and you don't see it sometimes. You can have months and months you think, oh my God, what a waste of time. I, don't, I haven't gone anywhere, you know. I'm still as stupid as before. Blah, blah, blah. Then, when you meet a situation, and that's something Ajahn Sumedho used to point out a lot, you know, when you go to into the same old situation you were in, suddenly you can see the incredible changes that have occurred in you. When you are in a monastery, you don't see them so clearly, you know. So, maybe you had a, you know, you were an angry type. And you're well, we're all angry type, really, I think. And <laughs> we all have a lot of anger. And so you were maybe having a, you know, a lot of battles with people at home or something or with your family or with your friend. And even though you feel you haven't gone anywhere, you're still as angry and upset as before. Because in a way, do you understand that when you do the practice, all these kilesa, they come up. They're not going to go away. If you want to get, let them go, you have to see them coming up and they go. But they're not going to go if you just push them down and repress them and pretend you are a jhana type, you know. No. No. You need to see the kilesa to be able to be free from kilesa. So we, all of us here, we, we see a lot of that, a lot of that stuff, you know, it's not fun. Everybody is involved with that. We have a, almost a, we, we have given our heart to this path, you know, all ourselves. And we're not seeing nice things most of the time, you know. We're seeing a lot of difficulties that we have. And fortunately, you know, as I said, uh, we were 
often remind about Shinsumedo, you know, that, that of his own story, how when you go back to a, a, a kind of familiar situation, suddenly you realize how much you have been transformed. You, why do you have been transformed? Because you are able to face a situation, you know, it's not this me facing the situation. Your mind is able to be have the restraint, which is not a repression at all. It's a very different quality of restraint. You have a mind that is able to restrain itself and know that you are angry inside, but you're not putting it out anymore. Maybe some what your family was, you know, what you were used to, you still see the same thing, and it upsets you as much. But now you have enough peace and understanding in your heart, and you know you can bear that energy without recreating bursts, you know, of anger. You can actually see that. That's what the practice is taking us to to be really able to bear with the unbearable, as Atchensumido used to call it. And what he meant by this, yeah, sometimes it is unbearable, truly. It's not, a, it's not a just a word, you know, a psychological word. It's things that can be very unbearable, but yet you develop the strength inside where your mind is actually able to hear and not react able to speak and not react, able to feel, not react. Because the five candles are not reacting anymore in the way it used to. Little by little, that peace is beginning to settle down in you. But don't worry, one thing I've known, I remember Jeanne Upeka, when she was here, she made me laugh when she said, you know, because she always saw me as a bigger, you know, the senior nun, and, we got on quite well, but she always had a bit of a stint to tease me, you know, to almost kind of make, not make me, she thought I might take myself too seriously, so she might make a little joke about, yeah. You know, and she will say to me, like, do you know, personality don't go, you're, you know, they don't change because you get more enlightened or you get more free, you're still the same person. And that's a relief, isn't it? I mean, in a way, I wasn't too happy about that when she said that, I thought, who is she to tell me all this? <laughs> But at the same time, we can see it's true. You know, it's obvious. We all have our own personality, even when you start liberating the mind from its stuff, you know. I don't think none of us will be different in 20 years. What will be different? We'll be a more peaceful person, and then we'll be a more wise person, and more kind, maybe. You know, so all the quality that comes through the mindful mind will be just more up apparent to yourself and possibly to others unless they really hate you <laughs> unless they really think you are horrible little by little this love can come <laughs>